victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yes, it's time for the Oz Football Hour here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Coming to you, not really sitting or standing, on stools. This is almost as awkward as the joint press conferences. Pakua Frimpong, what's going on? I, I like the stool idea personally. Okay. I haven't been feeling the greatest, so sitting down, standing up for too long, I can't do this. <laughs> But it's right. This is, I think this is more uh, less com- This is more comfortable than a mm. joint press if I do say so. Okay. So do you prefer this because it doesn't exacerbate the height differential? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I feel more confident about myself, and uh, you know what? I com- comfortability is the best part of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever we can do to make you feel comfortable with your. Um, and I usually try and make my next guest feel uncomfortable and just put him on the spot. <laughs> uh, Nick Stoll of Stan Sport, welcome once again to FNR. Thank you so much for having me. I feel incredibly uncomfortable to be here, uh, <laughs> as is your wish. Uh, I am sitting down, but if you want, I can stand. I can move around my apartment. Uh, but it's great to be here on what is a great day for Australian football. We're all rich. Yeah. We're all rich. The money's rolled when's in. The, when's the check coming in? I haven't got it yet. <laughs> I mean, Nick Stoll may finally uh, be able to afford a house, uh, you know, a few years ago, you were uh, profiled in the newspaper for for not being able to do so. So, uh, fingers crossed for you, mate. This some of this money rolls your way. Yeah. So, I think it's one hundred and thirty million. If I see about half of that, I might be able to get this apartment in Sydney. So, <laughs> it's good. Looking forward to it. Yes, a private equity sale of the A League, uh, FFA or Football Australia, as they're now called, cashed in mm-hmm. uh, to a private equity sort of technology investment firm called Silver Lake. Uh, which sounds like the front for some sort of Bond villain to me, mm. uh, but I'm sure it's all above board. 33% of the APL flogged off, and uh, according to Don Bossy in the Sydney Morning Herald, these funds could well be uh, used to fund the National Second Division and an FFA Cup equivalent uh, for the women. So, you know, uh, this could be huge. It could be huge. Um, you know, I mean, look, we've been calling out for a second division for a long time. We've been calling out for promotion and relegation for a long time. You know, look, in a way, it's a good thing that the league is worth significant money. Um, that's, you know, impressive given the league has really struggled. Let's be honest, it's really struggled in terms of crowds. It's really struggled in terms of uh, TV ratings lately. So for them to value the league at $425 million, you know, that's pretty good. That's pretty interesting. Um, but I guess, you know, Silver Lake, uh, the name is very weird. I agree. They're not giving us this money because, you know, they believe in Australian football and they've always loved it since the days of the NSL or whatever. They're doing it because they think that they can make money out of it. Now, how that is going to work is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Um, You know, I don't know like how much influence they're going to have over the league uh, and how much will that change the way that the league is structured. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. So, look, the first thing that comes out is, oh, we might get a national second well, is that all 130 million? You know, is that and what does that go to? Does that go to player salaries to coaches? To I, I should add the important caveat at this point that not all of this money, in fact, very little of it, is actually going to Football Australia. So it's really the owners of the league, being the clubs mm. that have cashed in, and FFA or I 
keep getting that wrong. Um, I, I should, do we have a swear jar for, for FFA? Hey, on on Radio still... Dub, we have a swear, a swear jar every time I accidentally say W League. Um, uh, they, they're only getting f- uh, 5% uh, or rumoured to be only getting 5%. So that's $6 million going towards the National Second Division, which uh, I guess is basically a more realistic figure because I was going to say, I mean, how was it ever on the agenda if it was going to cost this much? Mm. Yeah, and look, I guess the other thing is to work out like, okay, so if they're going to pay for the National Second Division, does this National Second Division have promotion relegation initially? There's also massive question marks. You can put all the money in the world into some of these Second Division clubs, but it's more about the people in charge and their competency. Mm. You know, you could give give Gold Coast United $50 million. Clive Palmer had the money. Uh, it, it was, the problem was Clive Palmer was in charge. You know, the, the problem is a lot of the times I think is the people in charge. I think you can make clubs. What we always talk about, where can you make clubs work? Can you make another club work in Melbourne? Can you make another club work in Sydney? Can you make a club work in Wollongong or Canberra? Or whatever? I think to me the question mark so, so often is not where, is who is going to be in charge. And I think you can have a successful club pretty much at any population over about 50,000, as we see overseas with teams like A-Bar and Villarreal and all these teams are very successful. But it's the people in charge who are very competent. I do worry that no matter how much money the National Second Division gets, the competency of the individual people in charge of each individual club Mm. is where it could succeed or fail. And, I mean, I think there's a point to be made here that these clubs have been surviving, albeit playing, paying players semi-professionally, uh, without TV rights for a long, long time, whereas A-League clubs have essentially been bankrolled, at least their payroll has been paid for by the TV rights, and they just have to meet the other running costs associated. Yes, there's a big difference between semi-professional and full-time professional wages. Uh, the uh, the, the pro- clubs that are... are mooting to join this competition want to start with a national semi-professional league obviously the players union the pfa is less uh less keen on that idea and it could it cost you know twice or three times more to pay players full time mm-hmm. um but you know they do have other revenue streams that um that that can help you know it's not just all private equity funding it's they they have a lot of like quite dedicated uh sponsors who uh, are worth big bucks and I think would plough money in, at least initially, if the carrot is there, if there is an idea of a national competition and future pro rel. Yeah, look, I think you pay players semi-professional wages, you're going to get semi-professional performances and you're going to get mm. players who maybe, you know, I've seen this in the in the formerly known as the W League, the Liberty <laughs> A-League women, uh, you know, where players can't travel because they have to work and they've got jobs and stuff. And, you know, the, one of the issues, and people really don't like to talk about it too much, but one of the issues definitely in Australian football is the quality of the football it is not of the quality of European football. We know that for sure. But sometimes, you know, there are some really bad games. Now, that happens all over the world. But my point is, if you continue to play at a semi, at least pay people at a semi-professional level, how much is the quality really going to be there? And while we understand that there are so many other factors in, you know, a successful league other than quality of football, that's still pretty important, mm. you know, like... I, I would love to support my local team, whatever the closest one is to me in the second division, but if the football is turgid every week, how long are you going to keep going? I don't know. I think, and then eventually you need that team to make the jump into the first division and, and that to be a successful transition because it will be bad if in the first season that we have promotion relegation, the team that goes up gets spanked every week, barely wins a game and comes straight back down. 
that would really be a bit of an indictment on the National Second Division. So I don't know, it's exciting for sure. There's just massive question marks about it. So is it beneficial to create a second division at this point in time, so like so soon, if the the first, you know, if the A-League is not at the standard it needs to be or the second division is not going to be at that level it needs to be? I mean, it's interesting. I do wonder what is the point of a national second division you know, that we don't already have with the MPL if we don't have promotion relegation. Yeah, I understand if we have promotion relegation, there's obviously a clear reason for it. If we don't have it, we've just got this other competition where anyone who's any good will get immediately signed by an A-League club because they'll be on obviously semi-professional wages and they'll all have it in their contracts that if an A-League club wants me, I can jump straight away. So as soon as any player shows any promise, no one will stay with the clubs. We already see it, you know, mainly outside of, you know, the Franco Parisis of this world. But, you know, the players jump around the MPL, you know, for an extra couple hundred bucks all the time. So you're not going to have all oh, these legends of the club. Mm. Coaches are the same. They're going to jump at the first opportunity. Whoever shows promise in the second division will jump. So I wonder what is the value of a second division without your promotion relegation? And the clubs seem to be really keen to do it. I don't know if they just think that there's going to be an increased windfall for them if they create this second division. But I don't know. I, I don't know what you guys think, but I don't find myself thinking, oh, you know what I need? I need a worse version of the A-League that is, you know, harder to watch. Like, what, what is the differential of a second division? I think first and foremost, there is a developmental benefit to having NPL all-stars, essentially. The best NPL players from each state all playing in a national competition and playing against each other every week because the cream of the crop at NPL level is actually very good. It's just that in all these divisions around the country, uh, the standard varies quite wildly. So the top teams, like you look at Queensland as an example of that, there are three really good teams and the rest of the competition is not very good. And you can see that from the score lines. Uh, Victoria is probably a little bit more even, as is New South Wales. The depth is there. Uh, but I think the same is true uh, in Queensland as it is in WA and South Australia, probably somewhere in between. So I, I think there is a developmental benefit to having uh, teams uh, that promote their own youth or through you know, all age groups, not just starting at, you know, under 14s or wherever the A-League Youth Academy start um, that kind of live within their means and don't rely on so many foreign players. Uh, Mm. I don't know what the foreign player rules are going to be in this new national second division, but I think ideally you'd probably keep it at two, um, which is the same as in all NPL competitions currently. Um, And yeah, just the the standard week to week because there are so many A-League players that actually fall through the cracks and as soon as they're too old for the youth sides, uh, they basically, like a lot of them quit. A lot of them don't play football again. And if there's no serious level to continue um, and there's no aspiration, then that's, you know, that's that's a problem. There's a big uh, gap, a big lost generation after the age of, you know, 21, 23. But I think that probably is going to exist as long as it stays semi-professional. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm if I'm 22, I let's say I was at an A-League club and didn't quite work out for me, and I dropped down to that level, and I'm on I don't know what they're on eight hundred dollars a week. You know, you know it's good, it's decent money, but then it's you having to train multiple times a week. You've got to give up your weekends. Um, if it's national, there's going to be a lot of traveling, a lot of time away. Look, let's be honest, you can earn much more money getting another type of job 
uh, you know, in Australia, especially kind of in Sydney and Melbourne. And then, by the way, if you do want to buy a house, like we were joking about before or something, you can't do it on those kind of wages. So I think if the wages are that low, you're going to have a lot of people just quitting football anyway because of the need to have... There are a lot of clubs already in basically employing players full-time by getting them jobs with the club sponsors. Mm. So institutionally, I would say there are actually quite a lot more full-time footballers in Australia or full-time club employees in Australia. It's just the, you know, training times and so forth. You know, they're only training a couple of times per week on a nightly basis for all the other guys who do have, you know, regular day jobs. So that, that, that kind of does exist. There are sort of support networks there. I do want to talk about this idea of a women's FFA Cup though um, because, because I don't see it to be honest because so many of the existing A-League women's players already play in the yep. MPL. So how are you going to have a competition in which they're facing themselves. If, yeah, exactly. And are you going to be able to still play for both sides if there's a if there's a clash? Yeah, and until you know, players in the A League women's are able to use that as a full time thing and not have to have these extra jobs on the side. I don't think it's plausible. It's not. It would be. It's nice to dream of it, but unless they can become like fully professional mm-hmm. in that sense. There's no there's no point to it at all. I mean, extend the season, make a full home and away season. That surely should be the first priority before you're talking about an, a cup competition. When you know there are eight nine starters from say South Melbourne or Bulleen that are going off to to play in the A League women, and they're using that as a a season round way to get you know the amount of games in their league that they actually need. I think another also another problem that could come up is that. There is a real, there's a bigger gap between the good sides and the bad sides in the if they were to do an FFA Cup, like it just wouldn't be entertaining enough. It would just be these absolute drubbings that it just wouldn't be worth a watch. I mean, is it a way to potentially build a bit of depth in the women's leagues here, or does it just not exist? Because we've already had the depth tested by so many of the Matildas players going overseas and and leaving the A League women behind. So we've already had a huge elevation of MPL players into the professional ranks. I mean, how do you how do you build that depth? I don't think that that solves itself overnight. I'm not sure at this point. Uh, I've you got to give me some time to think about that, Nick. What are your what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, um, look to me, both these ideas scream populist ideas that don't really have a lot of thought to them. So you know, with the women's FA Cup, yeah, it's exactly like you say. Like, how is this? going to like actually work it's all good hey we want a women's fa cup hey we want this hey we want yeah okay we want everything we want football all the time we want you know a longer season and everything but how are you actually going to make this work you know with the money available i don't know i i'm increasingly worried that we're there's no clear long-term strategy we had the 11 principles which you know they were you know they're okay there was a lot of populism i think in that and oh we should have this and we should have this and we should have this but a clear pathway on how we get into each of these you know that strategy to me i don't know i'm a bit worried that they've just oh we got some money let's create these two competitions that to me seems a bit out of like did you maybe think about it for more than i don't know i mean obviously they would have known this is on the cards but even the article that Don Bossy wrote, you know, which is a good article, but there was, it was light on detail about how is this actually going to work? Who is going to be, you know, in, in these competitions? When are these competitions going to be played? For example, we talk about, you know, both these competitions, what time of year are they going to be played? National Second Division, MPL at the moment is obviously in our winter, which runs... Na- in National compo- Second Division has to be uh, summer aligned is what I'm hearing from the MPL clubs. Okay. So then, that, that's so a the- non-negotiable for them for... 
um, future pro rail and, and so forth. So then are we keeping the winter MPL season and doing a summer national second division? I don't know if those clubs are going to participate in both, but yes. Okay. All right. And then with women's FA Cup, when is that happening? Because we've seen the men's FA Cup go at the moment concurrent with the A-League season. Is that going to be the case? How does that work for the NPL teams who are playing in winter? I don't know. I mean, it's just there's a lot of massive questions. That, and it just feels like we have created Australian football. Every time we try and solve one problem, we end up creating three more problems. And that just feels like kind of what we're doing. Maybe if we we'll go, oh, we, we have development issues, we'll create a national second division, give people more opportunities. Oh, you know, we, we have a men's FA Cup. We need to have a women's FA Cup. And then we just create actually more issues and, and stretch clubs further and stretch players further. I, I don't know. I just think good ideas. Like, I like the sound of these ideas. I would like these competitions to exist. The practicalities, the realities of them, can they be achieved with the people in charge? It just sounds to me like we're trying to take some really big steps as before taking those little steps. And that's the, that's, I feel like that's been the constant problem with the A-League. And mm. it's great having these grand ideas, but if those grand ideas lead to you tripping just before you're about to take those move on, what's the actual point of it in the long run? But is the standalone NSD a half step in itself, a half measure? Because the, the only reason the clubs are but, so super keen on it is because there's the promise of future promotion and relegation. This is like the future carrot down the line. If that if that never existed or if there was no connection to the pyramid below that was planned for a few years' time, I don't think anyone would be keen to invest you know, significant sums of money and, you know, risks their club's basically uh, existence on it. But as Nick said before, some of these clubs are poorly run. So what's what's great getting them into the National Second Division? If they, these clubs are poorly run, by the time they get there, there's, they, they'll capitulate before, you know, it's had time to develop over five or so years. It's a waste of I mean, time and money if it's not going to be m- successful. Maybe the conversation changes now because of this equity money that's coming in and because there is sort of FFA contribution because... My argument when this was all being talked about and the white paper came out was that it doesn't matter if this is a good idea or not. The club owners at NPL level of mostly ex-NSL clubs want to do this and they're going to put their money where their mouth is to get it off the ground. So we may as well let them because there's no harm, uh, you know, to the... I guess... But just because clubs have money doesn't mean they're going to make good decisions with that money. There are lots of clubs in the world who have... Lots and lots of money. Um, that there's just plenty of A-League make clubs board. wasting money as well. Yeah. So I, I feel like the, the idea of the poorly run um, MPL side or the NSL side comes from a bit of a stereotype as well, Nick. No, but – sorry, Nick. Well, I'd just say quickly, look, one of the first things I'd do with this equity money is buy out Tony Sage and get rid of a terrible owner in Perth Glory and a poorly run club. That's the first thing I would sort out, right? So, Perth before like, MacArthur? Well, look, there'd be a few clubs I'd be buying. Actually, Newcastle, no owners. Right? So. Yeah, like, yeah, there's plenty of A-League clubs that run terribly, right? They just run terribly with more money coming in, basically. Mm. Um, so I guess, yeah, and you're right, just, look, there's no, there's no inherent harm in trying these things except for the fact that can we at least try it in the best way possible rather than just let's let these guys who have shown not much competency in their history, can we, you know, let them run this national second division? Because if it falls over, then we are back five, ten years on promotion and relegation. 
I think promotion relegation is a crucial clog in Australian football. And I think you absolutely have to get it right. I'm just worried that the people who would try and implement it, you know, in the same way, a technical director is a really important part of a football thing. But if that technical director is no good, then you just say, oh, we've got a technical director. It's all fine. It's like, no, no, that guy's going to cause you more problems. Or, or a woman if it's a female technical director. Um, both could be as incompetent as each other. That's, that's the first thing to know. Um, but I guess my point is like, look, I'm excited and I would love a, if they said tomorrow, look, we're doing the Nashville Second Division. All right, cool, cool. But I just have massive questions about exactly how is this going to work and how is when is promotion relegation going to happen? Uh, I think it has to start with a timeline on ProRail. I think so you, honest, honestly you have so, to say five years, ten years, whatever it is, uh, we're going to have promotion and relegation this date and you can't just keep kicking the can down the road because that's what we've been doing with the National Second Division for years mm-hmm. and years and years. Yeah, look, I don't mind. I, I wouldn't mind it happening year one. I wouldn't mind saying, all right, let's go, let's go year one. Yeah, you're like, going nuclear with it, you reckon? Well, nuclear is like, again, this is the thing where I think what is the objective of the league's and of the Football Australia. What is their kind of overall objective? What are they trying to do here? If the leagues are just trying to make more money, is this a way that they can make more money? Is this a way? And in my opinion, promotion relegation would generate more interest in Australian football and the competition. Mm. I think there is a financial reason to do it. Now the clubs might say, yeah, but hold on. One of us is going to get relegated. And, you know, there's this whole argument over... Well, you know, would the Mariners survive for, you know, sorry to use Mariners fans who are listening, uh, insert your A-League team here. Would that A-League team survive if they were relegated? Well, of course they would. They could survive. It's just they would have to severely downgrade what their operation is. And and that happens all over the world. When teams drop down divisions, they downgrade. They have release clauses on their players. They don't have to pay such exorbitant wages. Sometimes they even have to move stadiums. Uh, you know, that might be an issue if you don't own your own stadium. Uh, but that's okay. That's all manageable. And then it's also once you step up, then you grow it again. So I don't know. I think the National Second Division, look, it's exciting. I just would also like to kind of temper that with the fact of, and I totally agree with you, put a date, say promotion relegation. I think the sooner you do that, the better, because the more interest there is in the National Second Division. I'll be honest, I don't really have any interest in who's finishing top three in the national second division if they're going nowhere. To me, it's like, well, mm. you know, there's so many factors in that. Start putting promotion relegation, and I think there are definitely ways to do it. I've always been a fan of you have the first team go straight up or, you know, automatic promotion, and you have the second team play the second worst team in the A-League in a playoff spot in the way that Germany does it. The Bundesliga, uh, uh, the team that comes second last in the Bundesliga yep. plays the second team that came in the second division in Germany. I like that. I think that would be a really fun, you know, two-legged playoff. Uh, I think it'd be super exciting. There's many ways to do it. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't think this is, oh, great. They're going to do They're gonna do a second division? Problem solved. Maybe I'm just a little bit risk-averse, and that's why I, I when, when, people, when I take a step, I have to make sure everything is 100% certain. Because that's what I just, my biggest <laughs> fear is that if, it, like, we do this, and it doesn't work, are we now kicking the can down 10 years down the line where we're going to have to restart the whole process and we're just going to have to wait way longer for it to even be more mm. successful? Whereas if we can do it right one time, like isn't that just a better idea in the long term? I would err towards trusting the people actually running the most 
you know, well-supported and successful MPL clubs to do what they want and what they think will work immediately to get this thing off the ground and happening and then we can improve it as we go. That would be – I would err on that side. Rather than pushing them into starting a fully professional competition with instant pro rail or what have you and then having the whole thing fall flat on its face. Because that, that seems to be what, you know, the AAFC and those um, – those, um, and they're not owners really. They're, these are these – are, that's the other thing. These are not privately owned entities. They are community assets. They're, they have, you know, chair people. They don't have owners. So – uh, that, that's a that's a whole different conversation, I suppose, as to whether you know there's like a, a corporate shift and change to you know the a franchise model with actual ownership. Because at the moment, that's not how it works. They have you know AGMs and so forth, like the leadership. Well, I think look, I think what's also interesting is what is the A League clubs going to do with their share of the money. They're much more significant share. Yeah, we're, we're, we're over here debating that little $6 million while mm. the A-League owners make off with 122 or $132 million. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, Is that me, all going to keep up? Because <laughs> I think it's a bit of a waste of money if it's all going on keep up. Uh, I don't know if it's going on keep up. If it is, I look forward to my future employment at keep up. If they have that much money, <laughs> I will 100% be joining them. Um, if they will have me. Uh, but what I'll say is, look, you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. Everyone knows that. But what if it's a really beautiful basket? What if it's the greatest basket you've ever seen? Nick, what I don't if... want the basket to be pretty on the outside, but then when I look at it, there's a hole in the middle of it. The basket's got to be no, very complete. The basket's going to be good. Here's my proposal. Well, we get $130 million. All right, put $30 million aside for whatever you want, keep up, stadiums, whatever you need. A hundred million to Messi to play for Sydney FC <laughs> two seasons. It's five minutes from my house. Of course, he house. would say Sydney FC though. Of course, yeah, because yeah, it's close to my house. Look, I, wherever Messi plays, I will move to that house. I will move to that. <laughs> you city. might get a cheaper. You might be able to afford a cheaper house. Look, anyway. yeah, maybe. Look, Messi, if you go to Adelaide, you go to Barossa Valley. You, know, you have your nice Penfolds <laughs> wines. No worries. I'm there. I've never been to Adelaide in my life. I will move there <laughs> instantly to cover him every second. Uh, look. I don't know. What do you guys think? How would you spend the money? The yeah, mega marquee fund. Uh, thank you, Robbie Slater. Sorry, Nick Stoll. Um, how how would we spend Specifically, the money? by the way, mega marquee. I'm on one marquee. I don't want to spend it on anyone. I don't want to say <laughs> everyone gets it. No, one. Go all in on one player. And that one player is messy. If he <laughs> says no, that's fine. That's fine. The whole different strategy. Mate, I, I, like, I like spending money on youth academies and having something mm. for the future. Because I think if we have these youth academies be better, we produce better quality players. The league gets better and we have better exports if they go internationally. The actual Australian football as a whole gets better. So I would like to spend money there I in the like, imaginary world. This is not what it's going to be spent on because this is mostly going to the APL, but I would like to see coaching education uh, heavily subsidised because one of the main uh, drivers of cost at youth level is coaching badges and how much they cost and the clubs having to fund the coaching badges. And finding a way to make that all cheaper, I think, would really... I mean, we've already got a well-participated in sport, um, but it would really send the game to the next level if we could not have parents shelling out five, six, seven, upwards hundreds of dollars every season for their kids to play. And the other thing to do with that is increase in participation, you know, facilities. I'd also just take a little bit of money to... Help out some of these referees. Get a little some better referees would be really, really <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, referee well. education would, would be, be nice. Very, very nice. But uh, there's also like just a 
a junior facilities crisis, like kids being turned away from clubs and so forth. So yeah. it would be nice to see some money going towards. And I know we, we want are very to get, good people, aren't we, Josh? Well, you know, for the kids. You know, we're just giving it back, giving it back to the community. But uh, I would like to see, and obviously we want government to chip in on these projects as well, and that's been one of the main things. But there's just a, down here in Victoria especially, there's just a space squeeze and there's just not enough fields and not enough access to those fields. I just think the APL won't look at that as their problem. No. I mean, unless they have an incredible, you know, vision for the game and they see that, you know, everything affects everything and, we, you know, you have to take a holistic approach, that'd be great. I don't think they will see that. I don't think they'll see the kind of linear, the line between, you know, improving coach and referee education and, you know, a successful A-League, even though it is there. I would imagine what they would have to look at. Probably the thing that I think would be the clearest thing to look at is stadiums, basically. I think you you need better stadiums. Well, look, firstly in Brisbane, Brisbane Raw absolutely need a better stadium. Wanderers obviously are okay for a while. Uh, Sydney FC are just getting a new stadium now. So, you know. It's going to be too big for them, but okay. I mean, if they sign Messi, it's not. Um, but <laughs> no, it, look, it is probably going to be too big to, for them, let's be honest, unless they really massively increase, unless they either go for a Del Piero level marquee or they dramatically increase their level of community engagement, which I don't see it happening. You know, there's, I don't know about you guys, but I constantly hear about the like, we kind of act like people don't know the A-League exists. You know, we talk about, oh, you know, the game's the game's on free-to-air and that's good. If it's a good game, people will, you know, maybe it's their first time watching the A-League. I think probably most people have at least watched the A-League once or twice. I don't think it's a completely... I don't meet too many people who've gone, I've never seen a second of it. I think one of the problems is they've seen it. They've maybe even gone to a game and they've gone, not for me. And that's kind of our big challenge I think at the moment. So you have to improve the match day going experience. Stadium is super important for that. Um, I think active support is super important for that. Now, how much is that financial and how much is that just cultural? And that's a difficult change. You can't just spend your way through that. Uh, I mean, I think uh, a series of bribes to the leaders of several state police forces could could do the trick, you know? I mean, I, I, I it's interesting. I don't even know how you know, that works in terms of like privatized security and all that. But yeah, it is, look, I'm all for bribing the police. Why not? Um, <laughs> I'm not a part of bribing the police. That's on these two, not yeah. me. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I don't know. I, I think it's just going to be really interesting to see how this gets spent. Um, Marquis a part of it. It only gets you so far, I think. We saw it with the Del Piero factor. A lot of fans turned up for Del Piero and then didn't really stay. Um, you know, it's going to happen with Perth. A lot of fans have turned up initially for Daniel Sturridge. Mm. Don't, I don't know if he's going to play. Um, you know, it'd be exciting if he ever gets on the field. I, I don't know. It's just the A-League, if it is going to be successful long-term, it's going to be a lot of small improvements over a long period of time. And I I just kind of would warn people not to expect any solutions, you know, any quick improvements anytime soon. Well, Loch Ness has helpfully pointed out on the uh, Twitch comments that the clubs are already paying the cops to be there. So what more can they do? 
Uh, that is true. De- defund the police. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Nick Stoll, we know you've got to go. Uh, this has been a far-reaching uh, and fascinating discussion. Uh, thank you to uh, uh, McFranchise apologist uh, Nick Stoll, uh, who <laughs> – no, sorry, uh, Stan Sports Nick Stoll, who you can uh, – Catch his uh, well-produced content on Stan Sports. Uh, Champions League draw went haywire, but we'll have to discuss that one with you another day, Nick. Uh, yeah, look, I'll, I'll just say very quickly, it was very funny because Real Madrid initially got Benfica and then they got PSG. So I just say that is the best draw that can ever happen. I think you should always just, whenever Real Madrid get an easy draw, let's do it again and see if we can get them another tough draw. So yeah, well done UA for, for knocking off F1 as the most controversial uh, inept sport. I love that the whole Lewis thing just seemed. <laughs> I love that the the uh, whole process just seemed to be an elaborate prank on Florentino Perez. But uh, it's just as well he's the uh, the kind of guy who'll just take that on the chin and move on. So for yeah, sure. totally. I mean, maybe a bit of revenge for the European Super League um, creation, uh, but who knows? Florentino is probably involved somehow. Nick Stoll, we'll let you go, and uh, we better get into some discussion of the actual games that happened on the weekend. So that's coming up on the other side. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Wow. Yeah. Like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And dear Manti again. Oh, he's done it. Unbelievable kick. And we're back here on the Oz Football Hour. Josh Parrish and Pakua Flimpong taking you through to 7pm. And on the other side, we're going to double up tonight, Pakua. We're on double duty. Yeah. Radio Dub coming at you with two special guests. Exactly. Oh, we, oh, we always provide the great guests on Radio Dub. That's all we do. But, you know, so, right now we're talking about the Oz Football Hour, you know, the men's side of it at yep. least. Good weekend to f- football. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, big weekend. There's another game coming up tonight, actually. FFA Cup action. Avondale versus Wellington at ABD Stadium. I say this because I saw the uh, the starting lineups have come in. No Liam Boland, no Yusuf Ahmed for Ooh. Avondale. Ahmed going off with uh, what looked like a hamstring injury. Boland got the red card. The other yes, one. in the Doherty Cup final. And Liam Boland, a question we couldn't answer, myself and Joey Lynch on the broadcast, whether Liam Boland was suspended for this game. Turns out he is because the Doherty Cup and the FFA Cup are linked competitions. Uh, they split off from each other once we get to the national stages and the four Victorian teams who qualified go to the semifinals of the Doherty Cup. It's very complicated. If you're still <laughs> with me, congratulations. But the upshot of which is Liam Boland, for a headbutt that he didn't do, uh, will miss a big game against an A-League side, which is sad because we know what Liam Boland can do in FFA Cup games, uh, having scored, scored from ridiculous distances before. Uh, but uh, I, I give still him think, a little chance. I, I still give him a chance. I mean, we saw Welling- an upset the other week. Wellington Phoenix have gone pretty strong. Uh, David Ball, uh, Louis Fenton, Alex Rufa, Josh Satirio, Reno Piscopo. All these guys look like first teamers. So pretty full strength side. Uh, but uh, if you're going to watch this one, I would keep an eye on Yite Towns, number 13 at the base of midfield. I think he's a potential A-League prospect. And Stefan Valentini, who looks to be playing as a, as a false nine tonight, also could play as a winger, is an absolute machine. And also one of the uh, premier S-houses in the league. <laughs> uh, I like how you didn't say the word there. Good yeah, job, look, I, can't, I don't have a bleep button. So um, he, he will let you know about it if he scores. Yep. Uh, he is good fun. He's square up at you. He'll uh, get the referee to book you with a bit of crafty behavior. It's, I love that. 
it's it's a good it's a fun side to his game, and uh, I'm looking forward to what he pulls against a league opposition. I tonight. love a bit of trash talking. I think it's so needed. It makes it so much more fun to watch. I'll be honest. When I was out there playing, mm. you know, for a little time, I was. If I scored on you, you were going to hear about it, okay? <laughs> Best believe if we were up 5-0 and I scored again, I would talk. If we were down 6-0 and I scored, I would talk. And I think it's important. All players need to have that level of uh, ego, you know? Well, it doesn't surprise me, to be honest. Have you seen your antics around the studio, Pekora? Uh, you know what, Josh? It is what it is. Speaking of trash talk, mm-hmm. joint press conferences. We mentioned at the top of the show, trying to do – you know, WWE content without a script. Uh, Steve Corica and Nick Montgomery well, sitting next to each other awkwardly uh, in the post-match press conference. Is this a good strategy to, to pump out the content? I will say it's good that you reference the WWE, not the AEW, because WWE is a fledgling, you know, product. And I feel like this kind of antics is why, it, you know, you fail. Who, who wants a joint press out? Like, why do I want to sit to see two people sit awkwardly and not answer truthfully you're handicapping journalists and you're handicapping the coaches to speak mm. freely. Well, it's pointless. They're already very guarded. If anyone has watched A-League press conferences, I'm sure you've come across them from time to time, don't give much away, most coaches. <laughs> it really depends on the, the personality. Um, some of them are good. Some of them are very open and warm. Um, John Aloisi's good value. Mark Redan was always good for a, for a quote uh, when he was coaching Western United. Um, but some of them... like Maybe it's a Western United thing. Maybe. Maybe uh, it's maybe it's maybe, maybe it's part the, of the media strategy. Maybe Lucy's told them, you know, guys, this is this is our product. It's like we are good for communication. You know they, what? That's what it is. They are good media operators, I have yeah, to say. They are uh, but a lot of coaches think you're out to get them and they won't gonna want to give anything away and that's going to exacerbate things further when they're sitting next to their rival. Because it's awkward to say, you know, things about the opposition cheating or diving or, you know, playing too defensively or whatever when they're sitting right next to you. Like I, I did hear um, that it was maybe done because they wanted to reduce, you know, the trash talking towards the other team at the other press conferences. But that's what you want. I, what don't you want to market a game that's got a little bit of tension in it? Because mm. I think tension breeds some some good football and you know high good content on the field as well. I want to I want to hear when a player says something a little bit off about another team yeah. and then they go on the field and they. It's war and they're playing. I don't want to see like 10 red cards, but I want to see some, you know, good products. And with these kind of press conferences, I'm just not getting anything. It's kind of boring. It's stale and like, no, everyone's sitting there awkwardly going, Am I, can I ask this question? And then have the other coach look at you and make the, you know, as a journalist, feel a little bit uncomfortable that you have to ask that question in front of the other uh, manager. I'm just not a fan. Maybe this is like inside baseball, like, you know, journalists' gripes trying to cover the game, but. No mix zone anymore. That's yeah. a thing of the past. You used to be able to stand basically in the corridor and call players over as they walked past and ask them for a, for a quick chat. And some players were obliging. Some said no thank you and that was fine. But it seems as if COVID contacts are being used as an excuse uh, to abolish this thing because the players don't want the media treating on their business. And if you're not going to have a mix zone, you've got to put a player up for the presses. If you're going to have a joint press conference, Steve Corica with a Sydney FC player, Nick Montgomery with the Central Coast Mariner at the behest of the media manager is a no-brainer for me. It has, it's a must. Like, I, I'm just thinking, this was a 2-0 win from Central Coast. So it was, so it was like, it was calm at least. Mm. Imagine if it's like a 5-1 drubbing and you're just like sitting there. Like, like what's the point if of you know that? your job's on the line. line. Like, what? Oh, we might, like, 
Oh, imagine having Melbourne victory up there last last season, you know, after they've been annihilated by City because Norbert's looking there like, what am I doing here? This man's about to get fired and I'm sitting here like, it's just ridiculous. It makes no sense. Would have been almost as awkward as the press conference Brebner had to sit in while Del Piero discussed his sacking. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was next level. But uh, that, was, that was actually funny. So I'll, I'll excuse that one. Uh, Robinson. A lot of talk about Robbo at Western Sydney. They lost to MacArthur. The performances have been less than inspiring. He's had King's Ransom to reshape the squad in his own image and brought in, uh, in his words, a number of Western Sydney-born boys who understand what it means to play for maybe the Shirts. They, maybe they don't understand. Gosh, maybe maybe they missed the memo. Maybe an email was sent out at the start of the season. Guys, this is what I want maybe you to Robert do. Maybe Robbo doesn't understand. Maybe, He's not maybe, from maybe Robbo forgot to press send on the email and everybody's <laughs> looking in their, in their junk mail and it's not there because everybody seems to be on the totally wrong page. They're playing football that doesn't make sense. Mm. It's not cohesive. He doesn't seem to have like – they may like him as a person, but they clearly aren't respecting him as a manager because they're not out there playing the style of football that – that he clearly wants them to play, or he's just not a good communicator for them to be able to play a good level of football. Some of these players seem incompatible to me, but surely a coach as experienced as Robinson has to find a way to make this this click. I mean, it's it's just a it's just diabolical at the moment. It's they they had sixty something percent of the ball against Macarthur, who seemed very happy to sit off this season and abandon their possession principles that they they uh, espoused last year. Not that that's a bad thing because they were pretty boring and didn't go very far in possession. Might have been an understatement, boring. But you know, the transition teams tend to win this season, and and Western Sydney looked pretty out of ideas, just big U shapes recycling the ball over and over again, which is a Travesty for a midfield which includes Ugarkovic and Antonis. If you can't make that work, you're a bad coach. My biggest issue personally is if you're taking 19 shots and only three of them are on target, you have a big problem. What are the quality of those shots? But no, and that, that, exactly. Like, That's your point, right? Like, I just don't understand. Like, you, I would rather see we have two, three shots on, on at goal and three on target or two on target, you know, and we have, mm. we're, we're producing – the opposition is producing some great saves. But it's taking 19 ridiculous shots. The ball's, ball's going out of play and the ball's going back to the keeper. What are we doing on the field? Like, is there an actual end goal to the way we're playing or are we just kicking – We they did 619 passes and only three of those shots went on target? Are you kidding? That's not good football. If you look at the MacArthur graphics, I think they did about 2,000 passes, but uh, that's a story <laughs> for another day. Stats, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're real uh, they number crunches over there in uh, in the southwest. Got they got the dub. Statistician, statistician. Yeah, there? well, they were they were blaming stats perform for it, but we all know that that's not true. Uh, <laughs> however, it's hard to criticise um, what they're doing on the pitch when they just keep on winning, even if uh, I think a team containing Ulysses Davila and uh, Daniel De Silva should be a little bit more entertaining to watch than they currently are. Ten points, one point clear of victory at the top of the table. Victory. Winning away to Adelaide United in one of the most spiteful, aggressive derbies I've seen in a few years. This is a throwback to the the musket Cosmini years for me. A lot of yellow cards, a lot of big tackles. It, it was good atmosphere. The crowd was right on top of victory, but they did get the result. Are victory back in your opinion? Are they genuine title contenders this season or is this too early to tell? I think it's a little bit too early, but I do think victory should have finished the game in the first half. They Rojas had True. chance after chance after chance to put 
victory ahead and put the game away. And it was, I just, and I, that's how they allowed the fans to get into the game and dictate the way that, because I look like Rojas got to the front of the goal and got what the fans, the fans started speaking and he got, <laughs> wait, am I playing a professional football game? And just miss hit the ball. But victory for me, I like them. I think they're playing a lot better than last season. But to be fair, last season they were atrocious. So anything is better than last season. I want to see two more games of just consistent 90 minutes and a little bit more, so a little bit more assertive actually mm. going forward and just being and putting a little more pressure on the other teams and not letting teams get into the game. If they can do that, then I'm, I would be willing to say that they are, they are definitely back. But what is back for Melbourne victory? Uh, title contenders, top four, okay, top three. I don't know if they're top four just yet. I'll still okay. see. I think they'll be a finals team. I'm confident yeah. that they've dealt well enough with the absentees. I mean, remember Chris Economides didn't play in this game. He hasn't yeah. played since round one. So, I mean, they're, they're doing a lot without their marquee signing. Uh, for me, against Western United, he was their one bright spot. He was the player who was finding spaces. And, yes, yeah. his end product wasn't that good. But, you know, he was the one threat. And Is Western... that going to be a problem? Going, You've just said that. Well, it's, it's clearly not because over the next three games – They've demonstrated that they can score goals and divined the responsibility across a number of players. Um, Marjota got on, got off the mark. It was a bit of a weird goal, but he got there. Uh, Robbie Cruz with an excellent cameo off the bench to set up Nishan Value Pile for the for the winner. Uh, but they've got a lot of attacking weapons if they can get them all fit at the same time. I mean, we know the problems Robbie Cruz has had with his body, uh, but then you've got he's had a up. few good cameos actually this season. Yeah, yeah he's been a little bit. He's been, he's brought more than I what I thought he was going to bring, which has mm. been kind of nice to see. I think victory maybe pinned too many of their hopes on Robbie Cruz previously, yeah. and his body didn't hold up. If he's a bonus, if he's found money, then that's the ideal situation. Yeah. I would love him to start. Is it the best thing for his joints? <laughs> maybe not his muscles. I think um, they have to. I think you have to sometimes look at the, your opposition to see if this is a game that Cruz can dictate and be the best and mo- the most influential mm. he can be. But in certain games where it's going to be a little bit more physical, maybe you keep him on the bench and just allow him, if it's still close at the end, to come on and then be that magical player as opposed to having to rely on him and then he's out for another five games and you're like, well, what was the point of that at the end of the day? I, th- I think you're spot on there. And this was the kind of game where as it opened up, maybe it was more suitable for him yeah. because it was – Tough. It was rough for the first sort of 70 minutes or so. Uh, he, he was great when he came on. Uh, Brimmer has been outstanding, especially with his set-piece deliveries. And Victory, while they don't seem too interested in playing out from the back or building up slowly, they win the ball in midfield, they attack quickly, and they score goals. Uh, last thing I want to get to before we break, goal celebration chat with uh, Newcastle Jets' Daniel Pena. I don't know if you saw this before, but I'll reenact it okay. if you haven't. They smashed Wellington Phoenix on Friday night, 4 Amazing performance. Becca Mikkeltadze with two goals and two assists, if I'm not mistaken. Just sumptuous football, a counterpoint, a refreshing counterpoint to everything else we've seen in the A-League this season. And Daniel Pena, when he finally got on the score sheet, scoring his first league goal for the club, of course he netted that ridiculous FFA Cup goal uh, against uh, Western United. He went for a kind of combination. He was first mobbed by his teammates. Then he went for the uh, very humble bow. Yeah. And then after the bow, did a flourish and a kind of curtain call okay. bow, like he was, you know, doffing his top hat. Is he royalty? To 
all four stands. He did it one stand, turned, north side, east side, south side. I mean, I, f- I feel like that's a contradiction in terms there. No, if you're going for... Humble. Stay humble, but also... Here's my the ego. Greatest entertainer. Here's my ego. Please feed my ego. <laughs> this is I me, have, Hugh Jackman, know, I, in my as musical. As I said before, I have no no issue with ego. Ego is fine, especially if you're mm. a footballer. But we can't be having contradictions <laughs> in the football field. Like we need to just have. I I think one simple celebration. I love the you know I love the Tim Cahill run up to the the post and just you know a little bit of few punch. Well, I'm not going to punch the mic. Yeah, but, please don't break the equipment in your. But, you know, a little punch or a Mbappe slide. I don't know, or just simple. Easy ones that I can do on FIFA. I don't need four and me wasting time waving to all four stands. Come on, we don't have time for that. It was the fourth goal in a 4 0 win, so I will excuse it. And he's been fantastic to watch, Daniel Pena. It's a pity he's only on loan because if he was a permanent signing, I think Newcastle would be picking up a handsome fee for him uh, in the off season. Josh, he didn't score four goals, so I don't know why he's. He maybe needs to wave to one stand and then move on. Matt Beckham, Mikkel Tadze, if you've done that, oh, no on. problems. Uh, I think we'll leave it there here on the Oz Football Hour. But don't you dare go anywhere on the Twitch stream, which is, of course, the best place to interact with us live during the show because we've got Radio Dub coming up on the other side with special guests, uh, including players from Melbourne Victory and Brisbane Raw. So uh, stay with us here on FNR. If you're only interested in the men's stuff, we'll say goodbye for now and speak if to you. If you're only interested in the men's stuff, I'm disappointed. Get with the program, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's the main point. But uh, you know, look, if you're uh, if you're not keen on the uh, the A League women, we'll see you next week. But you know, come on, think about it. Reconsider your choices. Yeah. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Unbelievable kick from the